That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. Such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat in it while all the people stood on the shore. Then he told them many things in parables, saying, A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil, where it produced a crop, a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. Whoever has ears, let them hear. This is the gospel of the Lord. Amen. Amen. Hello, everyone. It's great that you can all be here today. Um, I want to encourage you. We're still talking about family on mission, and I want to encourage you. The mission of the church was born out of crisis. The gospel was born out of times of crisis, times where there was all kinds of things to be afraid of. When Jesus said the words, do not be anxious for anything, um, he he was saying it at a time and to a people who had all kinds of things to be anxious about, not least of which disease for which there was no cure and no hospital and and they couldn't have found a cure for that anyway, but also war, oppression, all of those things. And part of Jesus' teaching is how do we be a non-anxious presence in a world that has lost its way, that doesn't know what tomorrow brings? I know there'll be all kinds of anxiety amongst us, but let me encourage you, we're part of a kingdom that is advancing, as Dawn said earlier. We are still advancing. So we're still going to talk about mission, even at a time when everyone is thinking about retreating and and isolating. It may be that you need to do that. I would encourage you to do that if there are medical reasons to do it as well. But the posture of our heart should be, Lord, how can I serve? Not how can I self-preserve, but how can I serve the community in which I live? How, what do you want to do at this time of crisis? Because often in the life of the early church, the, the gospel has advanced more quickly, more effectively in times of danger and crisis than at any, any other time. So we want to be prepared and ready for that. And I totally agree, even in a large church, we can be family, amen? But only if we care for one another, only if we mobilize ourselves around smaller groups in order to really belong somewhere, to look after one another, to, to bring people into discipleship. And really, discipleship is what I want to focus on today. Um, I want to talk about how we're called to be disciples, not just converts. And I believe this parable that we just heard Jason read is really Jesus describing the condition of a disciple in contrast to simply a convert. Amen? Okay, God is calling us to join with him on mission to bring all of creation into a loving, obedient relationship with him so that everyone can say, he is my father, he is my Lord. Amen? And yet we've often thought of it in terms of conversion, that getting a person to a point of belief that Jesus is Lord is the kind of finishing line. 
If we can just get someone to put their hand up to pray the prayer, even to be baptized, they have, they've now made it. They are now safe. They are now saved. We can mark them in the book and that's sort of the end of a journey as opposed to what I believe Jesus tells us, it's the beginning of a journey of discipleship. And I don't want to play down the importance of bringing someone to a point of decision. That point of decision is incredible. I still remember it in my own life. I remember my own baptism. It's a precious memory to me and it was important. But really, it was just the start of a process of living our life as Jesus lived it and learning how to do that. We call that discipleship. So we want, God is calling us to be people who make disciples. Jesus said, go into all the world and uh, and, and make disciples of all nations, teaching them to obey the things I've commanded to you. Of course, you, you bring them to that point of baptism, bring them to that point of yielding their life to Jesus, but then the work really continues to help people to live a life of obedience and, and to live a life as Jesus lived it. And that's what this parable sort of describes. He is talking to a crowd here when he talks about this parable. But this is unusual, this parable. It's the only parable where we also have Jesus interpreting the parable for his disciples. Later on in the same chapter, the disciples come to him and say, you know that parable about the sower that you told the crowd, what does it mean? And he takes the time to explain the parable to his disciples because this is an important one for them to to understand. A farmer went out to sow seed. And we know that this is a picture of the good news of the kingdom of heaven being preached, being declared, whether to a large crowd or or one-on-one, just telling the truth that the kingdom is near, that Jesus, you can have a relationship with God, you can make Jesus your Lord, that all of those things that were promised have come about and bringing people to a commitment to follow him. So Jesus is using the picture of a farmer sowing seed in order to produce a crop. And it tells us that this seed falls on different types of ground and then responds in different, in different ways. Some falls along the path and it says the birds came and ate it up. And this is describing a situation where you're telling someone about Jesus, the word, the good news has gone out, but it's not being received at all for whatever reason, either willfully or just they're not able to understand but really the picture that's painted here is that the, the circumstances are so hostile to the, to the gospel that it isn't able to be received at all. Um, it reminded me of when we were in Tanzania and we, we met a small group of guys in the late teens, early 20s. They'd lived on the street. They, were, they had left home and they were homeless, living on the streets um, since they were very young, eight and nine years old. And they'd they had survived through lying, cheating, stealing. And that's how they had gotten by. That's how they had survived. And so we, we told them about Jesus. Um, but we also managed through sponsorship to get a house, rent a house where they could live and survive so they didn't have to do some of the things that they were doing in order to, um, to, to get by and survive. And I asked one of those guys called John, who was baptised was coming to our church, serving in church. I said, do you think there are many people who are living on the streets who are Christians? And he said, no, none of them are Christians. I said, what do you mean none of them are Christians? He said, you can't be a Christian whilst having to lie, cheat and steal in order to live. 
And I, what I realized that he had understood something that it took me longer to understand, which was being a Christian was not simply about believing a set of beliefs, but it was about living a life as Jesus lived, living as a disciple. And he said, the word cannot even penetrate in a situation like that. So something like extreme poverty, maybe extreme addiction, other life-controlling um, problems can make the environment for that person so hostile that they really can't take in the word. And so our job is not just to accept that and walk away, or let's just go somewhere else where it's easier. Our job is to chase the crows away, chase the birds away, to break up that hard path and turn it into soil that can be fruitful. Amen? Very practical things. Do they have somewhere to live? Like, are they able to receive the word or are they just worrying about what am I going to eat next? What else they might be consumed with in their lives? Then the next place it talks about the seed falling was that some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil it sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow but when the sun came the plants were scorched and withered because they had no roots so it dies the plant dies and Jesus explains in verse 20 of that chapter that this represents someone receiving the word with joy and initially a faith springs up but because the soil is very shallow that as soon as hard times come, that faith withers and dies. This is someone who is no longer a believer, no longer a convert, if you like. However, this is not a non-Christian. This is someone who is a convert, as we would describe it. Someone who has prayed the prayer, put their hand up in a service, or, or, or signed a, a decision card. Maybe even someone who has been baptised. But because the environment in which they, they are existing is so shallow, there is nothing in order for their faith to, to grow, it doesn't last. And after a while, oh, where are they? They're nowhere to be seen. Time has, has seen that out. Now, he then describes another place where the seed lands. Other seed falls among thorns and weeds which grow up and choke the plant. Now, this might sound like it's just a sort of a different kind of repeat of the last one, but there is a difference. The difference is... In, in this case, the, the, the plant survives. It carries on. But the thorns wrap around it and prevent it from being fruitful. That's what it says. In, um, in verse 22, Jesus explains that the weeds are worry and anxiety which, which constrict the one who has believed so that they be unfruitful. They don't die. They just don't reproduce. They don't reproduce seed, which then can be used for another harvest. I wonder how many of us are in this category. Yes, we receive the word. We believe Jesus is the son of God who died for us. We believe it. We come to church. We read our Bibles. We pray. But we also feel ourselves surrounded by anxiety and worry, a lack of self-confidence, which means that if we're honest, how fruitful are we in our lives? Where's the fruit? Are we reproducing ourselves? Then it talks about still other seed fell on good soil where it produced a crop 160 or 30 times that was sown. So the definition of health in this 
in this parable here is multiplication. Just like in a farm, one, the, the seed that the farmer was using to, to cast out, where did that come from? Well, it came from the last harvest when healthy plants grew up and produced seed to multiply after themselves. And that is the description there of a healthy, of a healthy harvest, first of all, because the farmer who plants isn't just looking for a harvest that they can eat for this season. They're already thinking about the, the next season. I need to produce enough grain to feed me and my family for now, but I'm also looking to reproduce a harvest so I can make a profit and so I can continue to sow so that this harvest can grow. And that's the same thing Jesus was looking for in his disciples, that we be disciples who make disciples who make disciples. And that is what we see in the early church, not simply making converts, but making, making disciples who will be fruitful. Of course, some of that fruit, is what's described as the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. That is a sign of health. Like when we receive Jesus and we start to read his word and, we, and we're in fellowship, do we see the fruit of the Holy Spirit being demonstrated in our lives? Do we change in our own character? But I don't believe it's simply that. I believe it is also, are we reproducing after ourselves? Are we also making disciples? Because ultimately, we are called to imitate Christ, who was love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, all of those things demonstrated, but he wasn't just in unto himself. He also reached out to others. Others followed him. That's the example that we have. And that's what we should seek to do in our own lives, to reproduce after ourselves. The mission of God is not simply to make converts who agree with our words, but to make disciples who make disciples 160, 30 times over. Can we say over the course of our life, from when we were saved to, to the day we die, that we could look back and say, yeah, there's a crop of 30 people who are walking with God because of me. A crop of 60, a crop of 100. God gives different grace to different people. Right? So it's not about comparing ourselves to others, but there should be an expectation that we can point to one person, two people, three people. And for some, it will be many, many more who are living, following Jesus Christ because of our witness, because, of, because we have also sowed seed. That should be a normal expectation of us, not simply to live hanging on to our faith wrapped up in thorns. I would, but I'm too afraid. I would, but I'm too anxious. I would, but what might happen we can live that way, but we'll live our whole life in shallow soil wrapped up in thorns, just trying to survive. That's not what we are called to. We are called to be fruitful for God. You know, one of the misconceptions that I have had about this parable is that the condition of the ground, the type of ground, was purely an issue of the individual's heart. I've heard it preached that way. How is your heart? Is your heart the, the path? Is your heart the stony ground, is it, is it the shallow soil or is your heart fertile? And I kind of saw evangelism that we keep, we keep just casting our seed out there and hoping that some seed lands on fertile ground and really there's nothing we can do about it. But actually I believe that if we are called to be laborers in the farm, laborers, they see to the soil. They don't just cast their seed on whatever and it lands on whatever and it's like none of my business what happens after that, no. A good farmer, a good gardener 
will be proactively making sure that the soil they're planting into is good soil. They'll go to Tesco like I did and they'll buy a bag of compost and they will say, well, if I'm going to plant something, I will also provide some good soil for it to grow into. Does that make sense? It is our responsibility. It's your responsibility as a disciple to ensure that you have good soil in order for you to grow and to flourish. It's as an evangelist, as someone trying to reach the world, that we are, we are not only throwing seed out, but we're also bringing good soil so that those people have a chance to grow. It's no good. What we have often done is, many of us have remained in our well-watered gardens and we've sent the evangelists out there to go and just throw seed, tell people about Jesus, and then we just see what happens. I believe we are all called to mobilize together to take out the word of God to people and from day one give them good soil in which to grow and to flourish. So what is good soil? What are the elements that make up good, healthy soil? I've got just a few thoughts about what's in this bag. What, what is in the, the good soil which enables um, seed to germinate and to grow so that people can grow in their, in their discipleship? Um, and really, the, the, the best example we can, we can find is that of Jesus. What did Jesus provide for his disciples that enabled them to grow? They were just fishermen. These, the disciples hadn't been to any kind of Bible college. They weren't particularly religious people. It doesn't seem like they weren't particularly educated. He went and he, he got tax collectors and he got fishermen. So when he found them, they were far, really far from God. And yet he brought them to himself. And by the end of their time with him, they were, they were world-changing people on fire for God, moving in the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what we want to see. So what did Jesus provide for them? First of all, healthy soil has a network of relationships, a network of relationships. Not just, I'm going to disciple you, so we'll have a relationship, but I'm bringing someone into an environment where there is a healthy network of relationships. Jesus called his disciples to follow him. He didn't say, well, I'm going to be here every Tuesday morning. You can come and listen to my sermons. And, you know, bring your notebook and take notes and go away and think about it. That wasn't how he discipled his, his disciples. He, he brought them so that they would be with him. They saw how he interacted with others. He saw how even though there was a great storm, Jesus remained calm. He was asleep in the bottom of the boat. He was a non-anxious presence in a storm. And you don't get that just from hearing the word. You get it from being around someone who is full of the Holy Spirit and seeing that certain things which have to be imparted, have to be experienced, have to be seen. His disciples walked with him. Of course, there was the large public teaching But how much did the disciples learn simply by spending time with Jesus and being in a relationship with one another? Jesus described them like they were his family, his brothers and his mother and his sisters. He said, come follow me. In the soil, there must be friendship, relationship, not simply in information. Number two, so first of all, relationships. Number two, there has to be some kind of instruction. It isn't just about hanging out and being friends. There has to be some instruction the most common title the disciples had for Jesus was rabbi teacher he did teach them just as we've seen 
But a lot of that teaching was on the way. In just in their conversations, there was encouragement and there was challenge. We need to be people who aren't just friends who listen to sermons, right? But that we take what we have learned and we pass it on from day one. We often think evangelism has to start with getting someone to accept that Jesus died for them and has forgiven their sins. Yes, that's important. But do you know what? Jesus didn't just give that central message. He also brought the wisdom of God to people, the wisdom about praying, wisdom about anxiety and worry, wisdom about money management. And I think we would do well to use this phrase. You know, one thing I've learned from following Jesus is, one thing I've learned from following Jesus is that true happiness is not found in financial security, but in trusting God. One thing I've learned from following Jesus is when I'm desperate to make something of my life and to be somebody, I tend to lose it. But when I give myself away for a good cause, I am more fulfilled than ever. Jesus gave us such wisdom that we can bring to people. Let's have instruction on our lips when we're talking to people, not just simply a kind of a pre-prepared gospel message. Number three, mission. Jesus called his disciples into mission they had something to do it wasn't simply come and learn to be like me no he was saying come and I will make you fishes of men he was on a mission to bring about the restoration and kingdom on on the earth and that's what we want to invite people into we're inviting people into a purpose that helps people to grow number four opportunity for leadership there is you know the disciples knew from day one they were being called to be greater something greater and they had to be corrected so many times on what that meant that that was more about servanthood than it was about lordship but even so he told his disciples on this on this rock I will build my church I will give you the the keys of the kingdom he said these things you see me doing you will do even greater things I think sometimes we've put people in such shallow soil when we say do you know what just come in Stop swearing, stop smoking, stop drinking and just sit there and behave yourself and you'll be fine. Actually, he's calling, we need to call out the greatness in people that you are called to lead. You are the, 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 the princes and the princesses of the king and we, are to, we, we will one day sit in judgment over angels and we are called to be something more and something greater. That helps people to grow when we create environments that do that. And number five, we have to be spirit-filled. Spirit-filled. We are introducing people into a relationship with the Holy Spirit, into a relationship with Jesus, encounter with God. And Paul said, I didn't come to you with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration, a demonstration of the Spirit and power so that your faith may not be based on human wisdom, but may be based on the power of God. Did somebody just give you a clever argument that kind of convinced you to come into the church? Or have you encountered Jesus? In this soil is healing. In this soil is signs and wonders and prophecy. Where, God, where people are left in no doubt, Jesus is alive in Stockton. Amen? And so the Holy Spirit needs to run through everything that we do so that people can grow in God. None of us can be good soil on our own. We don't want to just send you out one by one into your world and somehow hope that a harvest is found. We need to, in our small groups, go out and create little communities where there is good soil. 
communities of relationship and teaching, where you're on mission together, where there is opportunity to be something more than, than you ever dreamed and where the Holy Spirit is at work in power. We need one another in order to grow and we need to get around people not yet in the kingdom in order that seeds that God is sowing into them can grow and flourish and also that we might grow and flourish ourselves. Amen? Let's pray together. Let's pray.